there's going to be a really steep learning curve and just being back out in the world. Hi, thanks for listening to Doorknob Comments. I'm Farah White. And I'm Grant Brenner. We are psychiatrists on a mission to educate and advocate for mental health and overall well-being. In addition to the obvious, we focus on the subtle, often unspoken dimensions of human experience, the so-called doorknob comments people often make just as they are leaving their therapist's office. We seek to dispel misconceptions while offering useful perspectives through open and honest conversation. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions, comments, and requests. Today, we are going to touch on a topic that is probably on a lot of people's minds here on the East Coast. I think everyone is just preparing to go back to school or all the kids um, are going back to school. And we wanted to talk a little bit about what it means for parents and for families. Well, I feel like there's some anxiety around going back to school and um, in some ways, it feels very, you know, normal to me, um, speaking from, you know, within my own family, you know, we're buying notebooks, we're getting pencils and erasers and thinking about, you know, the classes and everything. Um, our school has um, the option to, you know, be in person or to stay at home. But I think there's a lot more anxiety, especially for people where the schools aren't as flexible, you know, certainly if there's anxiety about illnesses and, um, you know, throw into the mix uh, variants of coronavirus, Delta being just one, there's other ones that are maybe circulating. And, you know, that vaccinations not only are somewhat controversial, but also aren't available for younger kids yet. Not a typical school year in some ways. Oh, plus everyone hoped it would all be over by now. Yeah. And it's not. So I think there's the disappointment that we're still dealing with this as time goes on, but also a lot of the uncertainty about what it's going to be like for kids and um, going back and wearing masks and um, trying to navigate that. What is the impact on the social experience and what is mm -hmm. the developmental impact and what is the impact on education? You know, one of the, one of the things that really stands out is um, that people have had such different experiences like through the pandemic, some kids have been in pods and probably been, you know, somehow if they have a parent who can stay home with them or parents who can hire a teacher or somehow oversee the academic piece, the social and emotional piece, um, I think kids are coming in from much different places um, and people have had, you know, varying levels of um, being COVID safe. What do you think schools could do in order to help ease re-entry? I think one big thing is to just get them reoriented to the school day, uh, to what you know their schedule is going to look like without jumping into things like they might have um, in past years and giving the kids plenty of time to process like at their level what this means. Do you think schools should have kind of um, a forum for those discussions or actively manage, you know, one of the one of the things that that kids may be coming from very different experiences? Um, you know, some kids may have been relatively lucky and yeah, had a parent at home, uh, others struggling with, you know, two parents working full time remote, some kids coming from families where there was significant illness others right. not 
you know, it raises a question in my mind as to what is the role of the school for helping with these social and emotional things, you know, when there is a disaster, for example. Uh, in, in a broad sense, I think the pandemic is a disaster, not in the same way that an earthquake or a hurricane is, which is generally, you know, short in, in the duration, even if the aftermath lasts a long time, this is, is just a chronic disaster. Yeah, I think one thing that they can do is just take it a little bit easier um, to be maybe more permissive when it comes to understanding that these are kids that have been, you know, not necessarily in the classroom and might have been in the comfort of their own home and so might have developed certain habits, you know, because they, they weren't around their peers. Have you seen or heard from people that kids are adapted to being away from school? And I imagine it is a significant difference whether you're an only child or whether mm -hmm. you have siblings around the same age or a pod of friends you've seen, um, you know, how isolated a kid has been uh, and whether they've missed out on developmental opportunities. Mm -hmm. I heard of it and, and seen a lot of it really up close where, you know, when we're at home, and I even know this for myself, we might not be on the same schedule. Uh, we might not like wake up, eat breakfast, get out the door and be prepared with everything we need for the day. Um, so if we're accustomed to something that's a lot sort of less rigid, there's going to be a really steep learning curve and just being back out in the world and being around people all the time. One thing that I heard with people who started to socialize again as things opened up is that it felt like a different, like it, like it took more energy um, to socialize and to be around people. Right, like the socializing muscle has atrophied mm -hmm. a little bit, where it's like, you know, you get out of breath easier socially. For people, um, you know, I know there was data during, during the pandemic that more extroverted people had more difficulty with social isolation. I wonder if the reverse is true, whether more introverted people might have more difficulty becoming more social again, mm -hmm. and whether that sort of social fatigue um, susceptibility is not, not, not as bad for extroverts who may really be jonesing to get back mm -hmm. with their kids. You know, the flip side is that some people may have a little trouble regulating themselves because they're so stoked to be back <laughs> um, around other people. Yeah. And, you know, kids sometimes have trouble behaving perfectly calmly all the time anyway. Right. So there's going to be a lot of stimulation. The poor teachers. <laughs> yeah. And, and for the teachers to probably, I think, have to manage their own feelings, right? That they're especially elementary school and are up to age 12, they're, these kids are not vaccinated. Little kids get sick anyway. So I, I would imagine for teachers, there's a lot of anxiety as well. And that this is kind of uncharted territory for everyone. Unchartered. Unchartered or uncharted? We have to charter it, I agree. <laughs> Which means sort of to be planful. Um, you know, if you charter a plane, um, <laughs> is what my association is. You have to stop picking on me today. I just love words. I love words <laughs> and what words mean. <laughs> Dr. Freud <laughs> was of a strong opinion that people's word choices might be reflective of underlying meanings. Yes. Um, I don't I don't hold 
as much conviction that those things mm -hmm. are significant, but I usually go with my own associations. So, and what are your associations about this? Well, like I said, that there is something that is unchartered, mm -hmm. even though, I, you know, the term that comes to mind for me is uncharted. Mm -hmm. The fear is that it's unchartered mm -hmm. in, in the sense that the powers that be, school authorities, uh, and so on may not be as planful or as prepared. And I think uh, the anxiety that that we feel very often is increased when authority figures don't seem to be fully competent or aware. You know, with our school, we have felt very good about the way the leadership has handled the pandemic. Uh, as far as I can tell, and I have some background in, in risk communication and disaster management, they've done a very good job at communicating and being planful and, and careful. Mm -hmm. But I've heard plenty of stories where it seems like the school leadership is, is really not trained or equipped to address issues as they come up. And so that would be unchartered. Mm -hmm. My other association is more political. It makes me think of what's happening uh, in terms of the United States withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And that similar anxiety that people who are leaders, you know, we hope that they know what's going on. And so therefore can plan, predict, and um, be responsive. But yeah. very often that isn't how life works. Life can be much more chaotic than we want. So in terms of tying it back to returning to school, I think we all will try to prepare as much as we can, mm -hmm. but also understand that it's uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think there's a lot to think about what this means for holidays, family get-togethers. Oh. I think one thing we can do to make that a little bit easier is to maybe be on the same page, get frequent testing, uh, and be on the same page as, as relatives or friends and really have that conversation um, so that we don't make plans and then find out, well, actually, someone's not comfortable. Well, that sounds awkward, though. I, I thought, you know, a lot of times people can have those conversations, but when you bring it up, it, it can turn into like an argument. Uh, well, particularly if, if people don't have the same stance toward masks or vaccines. Right. But the person who is the most cautious is the rate limiting step, right? In an ideal world, I agree. But I don't know that all families are functioning at that high a level, that there's a level a sort of compassion mm -hmm. and regard for the other person. What I've heard is, yes, that is often the case, that families mm -hmm. manage these conflicts effectively. But, well, you know, maybe it's a function of what we do for a living, but I mm -hmm. usually hear when things are problematic and families devolve into conflict over a political issue. But I guess what I'm saying is one of the things we can do with these types of conversations is to kind of strike while the iron is cold, right? Like no one's going to be that worked up about Thanksgiving right now. And they might be able to say, A, I can't make a plan or B, you know, I'd feel comfortable if everyone is masked and vaccinated want to be outside or whatever. I agree that advanced attention makes more sense. And I think it's really important for families to separate the, the getting together mm -hmm. and any issues. And it's, it's good to separate them in space and time. 
right. so that by the time people are getting together, any problems have either been um, resolved or there's been some kind of mutual agreement yeah. to to behave such mm -hmm. such that people can enjoy their company yeah. and then maybe pick up the conflict afterward. <laughs> maybe there's always I'm sure there will be another conflict coming down the line, but I guess I look at it like. It sucks that we're still dealing with this. Um, nobody would have been able to anticipate it, but this is sort of a fact of life right now that getting comfortable talking about it might just eliminate one, you know, point of conflict. Right. Of course, you know, as therapists, we are always saying that if it's possible, it's better to put things out there mm -hmm. in, a, in a diplomatic and constructive way. You know, last podcast we spoke with Hannah Weiss mm -hmm. and we talked about and this is reminding me of that conversation of when we'll meet in person for therapy mm -hmm. and some therapists are meeting in person already some are sort of mixing it up in a hybrid model some are staying completely virtual but there's something so important about reunions that's what I'm thinking about the reunion of getting together with family I've heard many stories, oh, I haven't seen my parents in two years, my kids haven't seen their grandparents in two years, but I haven't seen my friends in person in in a year or two. It's been a, obviously a very strange time. Yeah. E even for a while, like if you went outside, it was like a wasteland, mm -hmm. which is strange yeah. in a city like Manhattan, which is you know, right. often crowded. Yeah. But then when people are together, it's also a little scary because you could get sick. Right. right. And so I think you know, people have to kind of manage their own sort of risk tolerance. Right. Well, how do, so how do you think parents should talk about it with children? Well, one thing that I think is really important is um, so kids have obviously heard a lot about what they need to do to stay safe. Um, they, I think, can sense that going back to school puts, you know, not only themselves at risk, but their families at risk, and that they may be really nervous about being vectors, um, and that if they do end up getting COVID, it's not because they did anything wrong. And so to maybe have that conversation that, yes, of course, they're going to wash their hands and they're going to wear their masks, but, you know, it's not going to be any fault of theirs, and that mom and dad dad and dad are making their best decision, you know, making an adult decision to send the kid to school. And so to take ownership of that. You're saying if a kid is worried that they'll get other people sick and yeah. being a vector, you know, being a carrier of an illness. Mm -hmm. Well, what if a kid isn't practicing proper okay. COVID well, prevention and someone gets sick and they okay. feel guilty because so, they did something quote unquote wrong? Maybe, but I don't think we can really hold seven-year-olds to the same standards. You know, we're all, the kid is not going to intentionally, like. Well, I'm not suggesting that it's intentional, right. but oftentimes people feel guilty because they, you know, made a mistake. Like everyone's only human, uh, though sometimes, you know, you don't know. Right. I think that the causality isn't clear and that the message should be, we all do our best to stay safe and that this is a family decision that they're going back to school and not to put that kind of pressure 
on kids because they're also getting tested pretty regularly, probably at school. And, you know, the parents may be vaccinated and may not be getting tested. Yeah. And kids tend to sort of slobber. Younger, younger kids aren't always yeah. perfectly hygienic. Right. But uh, I think not place all of that on their shoulders is probably better for their emotional state so that they're not like anxiety ridden the whole day. You know? Yeah, of course I agree. But there's a risk uh, that it could, that it could have that effect, you know, for parents, it can be a, a delicate message to say, Hey, you have to be really safe. There's uh, a potentially very dangerous virus that you could, you could accidentally transmit to someone along with, and it's not your fault if something happens and please try to be, you know, as careful as possible. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, we also give up our children to the school and more so, and I think you were mentioning this in our, in our pre-call that in a lot of cases, parents can't go into the school anymore. So there's a very different experience where you, you hand your kids over the school and then you're counting on the school mm-hmm. in a way that maybe we didn't before the pandemic. Loss of a sense of control, being able to walk into your kid's classroom in the morning, drop them off, chat with other parents, and just kind of have eyes on what's happening. You're right. We are really placing a lot more trust. I agree. There's a loss of a sense of control, but there's also loss of that, that social experience, mm-hmm. perhaps, with other parents. Though maybe you chat with them outside the gate, it doesn't feel the same. And it, it feels exclusionary as well. Even if we know that it's the best decision, it doesn't feel good not to be allowed into the school. Right. Uh, plus, you know, visiting the school can be nice. Like you think about going to school as a kid yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely an adjustment to be like shut out at the gate. Right. And maybe it's in some ways it's not bad. Well, I guess it is the safest thing for the kids. And I think that's it. Well, it's not always good um, to have parents kind of too much sort of mixed up at the beginning of school and mm-hmm. sort of asking the teachers things when the teachers don't have time or um, asking for, you know, special treatment <laughs> or, you know, using the teacher's time. And, and it spares teachers from being in the position of having to say, no, I can't talk now or mm-hmm. being late for class because they're being chatted up by someone. That hasn't been my experience so much. I think most teachers are pretty good at setting limits with me, at least. Hmm, that's interesting. But, I mean, I'm, I'm usually um, deferential, you know, because I'm cognizant that they're busy hmm. and stuff, but I definitely see other parents will insinuate themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And mm-hmm. if your child has a need and it's hard to get any airtime, then the best thing is just to talk to the person face to face. Yeah, and I think that probably the biggest thing that that achieves is really managing, uh, not necessarily like securing any advantage or getting your need met for your child, but um, just it's a way to manage the parent's own anxiety. And so without that kind of reassurance, I think um, parents are also kind of dealing with a lot of difficult feelings around this. Around which aspect? Just going back to school and the passage of time and the things that 
you know, we might have missed or our kids might have missed uh, special moments that um, I think with kids, people always say, oh, just enjoy every minute, right? Because it, it does go by so fast, the time that, you know, we really were not able to make the memories that we might have wanted to make, see that school play or... Yeah, the party in the morning on the mm -hmm. holidays where everyone yeah. brings food in. Right. Or, uh, you know, uh, a school fair. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a little bit parallel to working from home and, and not having those interactions with coworkers, both kind of the, the social glue and the relationships that get built through those friendly interactions, as, as well as the efficiency that comes from being able to just pop in and ask a question. I've heard of people, actually. A friend of mine was saying how she set up like a Zoom room for water cooler chats yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't know that it's the same, but. I don't know if it works great, though I, I definitely know there's a lot of kind of accommodations like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and some schools do things like that. You know, they're yeah. posting more pictures on social media to create a sense of presence the way mm -hmm. that summer camps sometimes do. I think with on the on the tech side, you know, it, it's not organic or natural. Um, right. I found myself wondering if something like club room would work better for a, like a drop-in, but it's very yeah. hard to re club room is a popular app, which is like an audio chat room that anyone Clubhouse? Can, did you say club room? Yeah, clubhouse. <laughs> club room is Macy's um, own yeah, brand. Yeah. Of, it sounds like a product placement, but it's not. Um, yeah, clubhouse. Clubhouse, yeah. Yeah, that are be. you going to pick on me the whole time mm -hmm. like this? <laughs> I, I heard I heard Clubhouses. Yeah, is is being challenged though by a lot of the other big uh, social media. Oh, really? Just replicating the same type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And but it's a cool idea. I don't know if it's on Android yet. It wasn't on mm -hmm. Android for a while, and I'm I'm not. I don't have an iPhone. Strangely, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. To the the point is that. Ultimately, it should be good for kids to be back together, even if it's a little weird that only three of them can sit at a lunchroom table and they mm -hmm. have to restrict their movements because mm -hmm. they're afraid of making someone ill, especially if you have someone at home who um, maybe has a medical illness or is mm -hmm. in, a, in a vulnerable population. Some kids are very aware of that. Yeah or a newborn at home or, you know, uh, an elderly or immunocompromised family member at home. I think it's much tougher if there's no choice, if, if you basically have to go in person. You, you think it's tougher if there's no choice? Stay. I think it's tougher if you're worried about getting right. people sick and right, you right. have no alternative. True. Then you feel out of control. Yeah. Yeah, true. I think one thing that was interesting to me is like a lot of these hybrid models that we had last year seem to be not as it seems like they're forcing people to decide okay well you're either remote or you're in person and they're not as flexible as they well, were last year, yeah our school let you decide you know back yeah. and forth but this year so far they're saying just pick one and stick right with it. right which is like oh, you know pick the wrong one but nobody really knows how the year's gonna go <laughs> so well obviously i mean they say that but you know there's some flexibility if if you pick in person and some you know new new variant of the virus is going around they'll probably you know they're they're, they're not going to make people go in you know yeah uh, but there's so, yeah. so many things are just unknown when when yeah. will vaccines be available for younger kids um mm -hmm. will the delta variant get under control you know mm -hmm. 
but I think typically there has been low transmission in schools anyway. Right. And that's one thing I think to to keep in mind um, that you know there is risk everywhere, like within the school and outside of it. But that the that what we would imagine and what we feared, I guess, at the beginning of this, which is that like oh kids were going to be the main source of spreading this thing turned out not to be true it seemed okay yeah and on yeah. subways transmission rates were very low but of course you know you have that sort of little thought in your head that mm -hmm. well this variant is more transmissible so you know we're not really sure and there is a lot of mistrust of expertise because of disinformation failure mm -hmm. of authority figures mm -hmm. dare i say anything that you can think of in terms of tips to help increase comfort level or resilience or just in general about kids various stages of development um well i think you you covered an important one but i think you're bringing up something which is you know at developmentally appropriate levels uh, i i would say that the national child traumatic stress network uh has good resources for how okay. to work with kids in a developmentally specific way um, my tip for a parent would be to educate oneself uh, and to seek out that information yeah. and to be psychologically savvy. Yeah. But in, in general, you know, kids need parents to be secure. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important to be aware of one's own anxieties right. and, you know, other feelings. Yeah. and how they may influence parenting behaviors. I think, you know, parents can do a lot to learn about different types of parenting styles mm -hmm. and try to adopt more adaptive ways of parenting. From my limited understanding, sort of most optimal parenting style is called authoritative parenting as contrasted with authoritarian or permissive and I, I come back to this idea over and over again because it ties in so much with attachment style and having secure attachment. And the authoritative style is to be firm, but warm and supportive, give behavioral guidelines that are very clear, like what you expect to happen, mm -hmm. and stay away from too much psychologizing, too much trying to tell kids how they feel, too much trying to get in their heads. The idea to me is almost like, like gardening, where you set the conditions so your garden can flourish, but you don't like mess with the plant all the time because that's not good for it. Okay, that's a good point. I'm, I'm thinking of the book Being There uh, or the movie um, people may be familiar with from the 70s, Being There. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm. Uh, the book is by, I, I have not learned how to pronounce his first name yet, but Jerzy Kaczynski. Okay. And the, the movie was is, is sort of a classic. And Peter Sellers, the, the classic comic and serious actor, he plays a simple man who has been raised by a wealthy benefactor in a very cloistered home. And most of his experience is cut off from other children growing up. So it sort of resonates with discussing school. And most of his experience in life is gardening. And so his benefactor passes away without leaving any real 
accommodations for him to be taken care of. And he wanders outside of the walled garden and he gets, um, he gets in the company of very wealthy people and he starts talking about gardening because that's all he knows. But they assume that he's speaking in metaphors and they think that he has great economic wisdom. Okay. <laughs> and he ends up being on like talk shows and consulting to the president on economic mm-hmm. matters. And maybe it also ties in with the anxiety um, about going back to school and mm-hmm. needing to rely on schools to ensure the safety of our children and that control that you talk about all the time, that intense need to always try to be in control. Yeah. That yeah. Some people have. Yeah. I don't uh, know, you know, know what that's like, but uh, yeah, I've heard other people uh, have to. <laughs> <laughs> to deal with that. Um, I think one thing to touch on is that when we are feeling anxious or overwhelmed ourselves, we're in a position where we have to model for our kids that some stress is okay. Good emotion regulation. Right. Not all stress is bad. If we, you know, feel uh, like there's just too much going on or we feel like we can't handle it, then we need to show our kids that it might feel that way, but really we're going to get through this and we're going to be okay and we're going to get through the year. Do you think it's a good idea to pretend everything is normal when it's not? You don't have to pretend it's normal. You can say, oh, I'm having a really tough day. No, but I'm asking, do you think parents ought to act like everything is fine when things are clearly not fine? Even the most uh, talented actors can't do that anyway. Kids are... Uh, really tough to fool. They can feel things, um, even as much as we try to protect them. So it's, it's probably a good idea to share in a developmentally appropriate mm-hmm. way sort of what's going on for the parent, but not so much so that it's overwhelming for the kid or right. makes it so that the kid has to like attend to the parent's emotional needs. No, but just for the parents to say, this is tough, but I got it, right? And that we all have our challenges and we help each other and support each other and in navigating them, right? And there may be actually more that kids need to do and think about. And that I think is like one of the most tragic parts of this is that childhood, what's so theoretically beautiful about it is that it can be a really carefree time. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm sad for kids who are burdened by this scourge the virus. Well, I wonder if that's also a generational difference, though. You know, every generation grows up with its own sort of threats. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think among millennial and Generation Z, it's it's understood that rates of anxiety are higher. Mm -hmm. And that's often associated with with growing up post Mm 9-11 in in a very different world that probably... I'm imagining might have felt like it felt in the 1950s during the Cold War. There's some sense of high threat um, for people born in the, the, the later part of the 19th century, the 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. mid, early to mid 90s. You know, things during when you were a kid would have been like a lot calmer, sort right. of prosperity and a sense that America was on the ball and, you know, there weren't as many threats on the global stage. Nowadays, the level of uncertainty and sort of existential background anxiety is, is higher in general, right? Yeah. And then 
you know, we're really, we're focusing on going back to school in a pandemic and there's a lot more things going on. So I think it's, it's a very different thing for a parent to say, yeah, this is a difficult time, but I got it. Yeah. Because as you said, kids are astute and they'll be like, well, some kids will be very reassured by mm-hmm. that, but some kids may say, what do you mean you got it? How can you keep me from catching COVID? And then yeah. you have to say, well, I mean, I, relatively speaking, I, <laughs> I've got it. There's yeah. a lot of things I can't control. Right. But it's that whole idea of the look for the helpers. <laughs> a book just fell. What book just uh, fell? Prue McKeel's Life is Ordinary. That is, this is a children's book. But oh, okay. From what I've seen of children's books, past, present, and probably future, and fairy tales, and you name it, they tend to deal with really scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And usually reflective of what's happening in the world. So uh, we started watching Chronicles of Narnia again, or you can you can read it too. It's also a book. And mm-hmm. it's set during World War II. And the kids are sent to the countryside. Their father is in the military fighting against the Nazis. And they're sent to the countryside to avoid the dangers, I, I guess, maybe in London, which is being bombed all the time. And they go into this fantasy world, which the same thing is happening. This white witch, this, uh, you know, ice queen has taken over Narnia and mm-hmm. it's, you know, always winter, never Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, the holidays are coming up. Yeah, well, we'll, I guess, cross that bridge when we come to it. Well, I think there's so many things that it's hard to cover all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I had put together sort of a rough outline of things we could talk about. One we didn't talk about so much was, you know, the unfortunately ever-present issue of bullying and cyberbullying, yeah. mm-hmm. which uh, I think is complicated, at least from what I've seen in the last year or two, among other things, by the the physical proximity. So physical bullying, closing the space can really increase the anxiety of transmitting COVID. For sure, for sure. But hopefully schools take that kind of thing very seriously. And I know that at colleges, it is considered a conduct infraction. Schools do, but schools also will tell you they can't control everything the kids do. Right. And that there are blind spots where you know, kids can do things away from the eyes of adults. And mm-hmm. then it becomes uh, he said, she said, or she said, she said, he said, he said, it, they said, they said issue. And schools can only do so much. What I would imagine is that kids may also adapt how they bully so yeah. that maybe there's more verbal. But if you I realize that, a, that another kid is going to be really, really nervous, if you get too close to them, you could use that to bully them too. Right. Well, I think we can just hope course the schools can't manage everything but that there is I would say a much different expectation about giving people personal space and staying away and anyone who doesn't respect that that there should be you know serious consequences that maybe that kid is not ready to be in person if they can't you know manage their own body yeah I agree Um, but schools don't always know what's going on or how to deal with it. I think um, by and large, I think a lot of people are looking forward to going back to school, even though there's so much uncertainty and so many ways things could go sideways. Um, Since school hasn't started yet in these parts, I'm curious to see what it's actually going to feel like. Maybe 
yeah, maybe we'll come back to this uh, in a couple months. Yeah, and um, I'd, I'd love to hear from listeners about what their experiences are like uh, <laughs> sending their kids back to school or going back yeah. to school. Yeah, absolutely. We're online, on social media, Instagram, anything else going on from that front? I think we're on TikTok now, too. Okay, okay. at long last. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, you know, it's it's a whole other, another story for another day. Okay. Uh, but, but definitely came to mind when, when we were talking about millennials and Gen Zs also mm-hmm. growing up online so much. Yeah. And how that changes being in person. And sure. maybe that's another complicating factor. Yeah. What, what I've seen is that a lot of kids really have maintained social contact through the pandemic by being very connected online Mm -hmm. and you know hopefully they can also um, be connected in person yeah for sure all right well thank you so much for listening thank grant thanks for talking always a pleasure take care thanks for listening to doorknob comments we're committed to bringing you new episodes with great guests please take a moment to share your thoughts we'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform You can also find us on Instagram at Doorknob Comments. Remember, this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any other type of medicine. This is not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment. Thank you for listening.